We're trying to get these people married off before we send them out. Something like that. And now nobody's going to come tonight. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. Oh, uh, wow. Have you had a good week? <laughs> All right. Some folks down here did. The rest of y'all, I'm not real sure. But it, it has been just a fabulous week. Uh, I, I can't hardly stand up here without just saying how grateful I am to be able to, uh, to be here. Again, I salute your pastor uh, for the, the privilege. It's, it's awesome. Uh, wish you guys could be here for the morning sessions. I, uh, wh what I want to say during the morning sessions is, hey, do you guys serve dictionaries with that? <laughs> and, and all of the people that are here in the morning session said, okay, and so what I would like to say to you is, everybody open your crayon box and let's color together tonight. They found something I can handle. Uh, but these guys are uh, taking the technical side of dispensationalism, and it has been incredible. Uh, so, man, I, I realize most of you are working, going to school, and all of that. But make sure that you get the material, and, uh, and you'll see what I mean about the dictionary. You have a dictionary handy. Uh, but I, I am... Uh, doing what I'm calling applied dispensationalism. Uh, they, they knew that I couldn't handle the technical stuff. And so, uh, but what, what I'm trying to do is, uh, as Pastor Jeff talked about, we talked about it in the morning sessions today, the, the three layers of application, the three simultaneous applications that we see in Scripture and I'm trying to go to a passage. We went there last night. We'll be there tonight and then put a bow on it tomorrow night. But it's more the practical side of a dispensational approach to the Bible. And so for the last two nights, I have been calling what I'm doing dispensationalism revealed biblically in some supernatural ways. And on Sunday night, we, we saw dispensationalism revealed through what I was calling a seemingly random Old Testament genealogy. And then next, through the order of the books that bring us to the pinnacle of the Old Testament. And then last night, we began looking at dispensationalism revealed through an incredible portrait in God's Old Testament Art gallery. And so, once again tonight, if you would take your Bibles and let's go to this portion of the art gallery, Proverbs 31. And this was on the, the sheet last night. I, for time's sake, uh, I thought uh, I'll just cover this tonight. I, I'm calling this the, the, the Bride of Christ from A to Z. And let me tell you why I'm actually saying that, okay? In, in the Hebrew language, and of course when Solomon would have written this, that's what he would have been writing in, when you get to verse 10 of Proverbs 31, down through verse 31, of course that's 22 verses. And the interesting thing in the Hebrew is this is a Hebrew acrostic. Many of you may not know that. An acrostic meaning that 
uh, he is taking the, the Hebrew alphabet and every single verse is the letter of the alphabet that brings you through 22 letters in the, the Hebrew alphabet. And because of the nature of what he's talking about here and the application that we saw last night to us, the bride of Christ, we could really be saying here what he is laying out for us is the bride of Christ in our alphabet from A to Z. This is everything that I believe God wants us to understand as brothers and sisters that all have the same father that have been placed into the body of Christ that is also referred to as the bride of Christ. And so last night we began looking in Proverbs 31 at this virtuous woman that in another six weeks or so, uh, most pastors will probably be preaching from Proverbs 31 on the virtuous woman and will make some incredible devotional application of this passage to women. And ladies, man, it's an awesome passage for you to lose yourself in in just being a, a practical bride to your physical husband. And yet what we were seeing is that in that other layer of application. God is screaming out to us what he is looking for from us, the church, the bride of Christ, everything that he wants us to be, everything that he wants us to do. And so we began looking in verse 10 at her biblical identity. That is the identity of this virtuous woman. He begins in verse 10 and he says, who can find a virtuous woman? And because we are dispensationalists who take the Bible very literally, we come to a question like that and we say, okay, let me see if I can. And so we're not going to go look in commentaries and we're not going to go looking all over the place. What we're going to do is we're going to go looking in the Bible and see if maybe we could find a virtuous woman. Who can find one? And God made it, as we saw last night, so abundantly clear. If you just go looking for a virtuous woman in the Bible, it's not real hard because there's only one that is found. And again, I say, that's not to say that there weren't other virtuous women in the Bible, but because God is wanting to scream a message to us, he reserved that title for one woman and one woman only, and she just happens to be in my estimation, the greatest picture in the entire Old Testament of the church, the bride of Christ, and of course, her name is, let's all say it? Ruth. All right. Okay, you all passed the test, and that's a beautiful thing. And he says, for her price is far above rubies, and we saw that what it cost our Lord to pay the dowry to make us his bride was a price that far exceeds the price of rubies because it cost him his blood, the very blood of God. And then we began to look at the beautiful character of the virtuous woman. And we saw that the scripture says in verse 11 that she 
can be trusted. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he ha- shall have no need of spoil. And we, we talked about the importance of our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, not only being able to trust us, but to safely trust in us. We saw another part of our character that she is responsible. He says in verse 12, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. And notice, y'all, he didn't just say that this bride won't do him evil all the days of her life. He said that's the Christianity that a lot of people have. They're the don't people. And they don't do all that stuff. But they never do anything good. They're all separated. But but they're not in the work. And he says that she will do him good and not evil. And I love this part, man. All the days of her life. And just before we get into this next part of the outline, man, may I just appeal to you and, and to myself. Hey, y'all, let's be faithful to our husband all the days of our life. We are living in the last days, y'all. And the time is short. And we don't have time to be dinking around with unfaithfulness to our husband. This is the time, y'all, for us to step up our game. And man, I, I pray tonight that you will open your heart as we begin to dive further into the, this text. And let me just pray. Lord, would you tonight, would you meet with us through the pages of your word. Will you speak to us? Will you help us? As those that have been made a part of the bride of Christ, Lord, may this be a night where you, by the spirit of God that lives in us, you take the word of God that we're holding in our hands tonight, and Lord, will you just pierce into our soul and spirit tonight. And may we, as a result of the things that you show us from your word, may we leave here virtuous brides of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now tonight we're going to continue to talk about the beautiful character of this virtuous bride of Christ. And again, we saw that she can be trusted. She is responsible. And then next, I want you to notice that what Solomon reveals here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that she takes the initiative. She takes the initiative. And we see that in verses 13 through 15. Let's pick up in verse 13. It says, She seeketh wool and flax 
I, listen, this, this woman, she's not just sitting back waiting on her husband or anyone else for that matter to do for her, to give to her what she needs. What, what this passage reveals, y'all, is that she takes the initiative. She is a go-getter, man. She is driven. Where are the driven people in the bride of Christ? In these last days, man, I know what the scripture says about us, that we're lukewarm, but who is it that's finally going to wake up to the fact that he's called us to be a bride that takes the initiative, who is driven, who is passionate? Verse 13 says, she seeketh wool and flax. She's going for it. And listen, wool in the Bible speaks of righteousness and that's made clear for us in isaiah chapter 1 in verse 18 where the lord says come now let us reason together saith the lord though your sins be as scarlet they shall be as white as snow though they be red like crimson they shall be as what y'all as wool wool speaks of righteousness and listen now flax is the material that is spun into linen to be used for making clothes and and listen now linen just happens to be the material that revelation chapter 19 verses 7 and 8 says that the bride of christ clothes herself with the verse says that through the it's through the righteousness of the saints the righteousness of her life and i i want to i don't want to go to seed on this but i want to make sure that you're understanding this because this is this is an incredibly powerful and important verse what 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 we find biblically is that at the moment of our salvation, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, we were espoused to the Lord Jesus Christ as our one, say it, one husband, okay? And at that moment, we were clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You have that? In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, God the Father hath made him, Christ the Son, to be sin for us that we might be, what's the next word? Made the righteousness of God in him. And the moment we called on the Lord Jesus Christ to save us, we were clothed with his righteousness. And in terms of our clothing... Listen, that righteousness that was imputed upon us is our undergarments. And what this is representative of is our positional holiness. The fact that Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, and we talked about this quite a bit last year at the Certainty Conference when we were talking about uh, Reformed theology and how they they get jacked up on Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 where it talks about that before the foundation of the world God made a choice 
And what he chose was to take a group of people that lived in this dispensation and make us different than anybody that has ever existed or will ever exist because he chose that we would be in him. That's what he was choosing. That we would be that group of people that would be placed in Christ so that we could constantly be before the Father in holiness. Listen, anybody since you've been saved think that you're all holy and you could stand at all times before God the Father and God the Son in absolute holiness? Not on your life, but positionally in Christ. We are constantly before him in holiness and love because when the Father looks at us because we're in Christ, he sees us the way that he sees his Son. And you know how he sees his Son? In absolute, perfect holiness. And that's what we received positionally. The moment we called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us. But listen, that's our undergarment. But when our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes for us to take us to his father's house to consummate the marriage, you know what, y'all? We will be clothed with the wedding garment that we spun into linen through our righteousness, not Christ's, through our righteousness after salvation. And this is practical holiness. You know, you, you ladies that have been married, or you young ladies that will one day be married, Man, you spent an incredible amount of time choosing that dress. Some of you took weeks and months because, man, that presentation of you making that entrance to your bridegroom, that was going to be something huge, man. And do you realize that through the righteousness of our life since we've been saved, what we are actually doing is we are preparing our wedding garment for when we get presented to our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, man, that our husband is looking for us, his virtuous woman, to seek wool and flax to seek righteousness, to seek holiness, to, to seek, as 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 talk about, to be holy, how? As he is holy. To follow, as Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 says, to follow or to, to live in constant pursuit of, to constantly be reaching and moving toward holiness. I, I understand 
the, the Jewish connotation of the Sermon on the Mount, but the principle's still the same, y'all. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Man, do you remember when you first got saved? You remember how, man, you wanted no part of that evil system. And you were hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And why is it that sometimes after we've been saved for 10 and 20 and 30 years, we start looking back into Egypt the way that we were satisfied and gratified before we came to Christ? Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he adds in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart. And I get it, y'all, this thing of personal holiness, practical holiness, it, it's most definitely a process. And, and I get it, man, there's surely a lot of failure along the way. But what God intends for his virtuous bride is that she will always be in pursuit and have a heart that burns and yearns inside of us to keep us seeking wool and flax, seeking righteousness and holiness. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, or 7 and verse, verse 1, having therefore... These promises, dearly beloved, and the promises that he's talking about are not something that's going to come next in the text. It, it takes us back into chapter 6 and the promises that he's just mentioned. And you know what the promise was, y'all? That the holy God of the universe would be our God and we would be his people. Can you imagine anything greater than that? And yet the passage reveals that it is greater than that. Because he says, not only am I going to be a God and you'll be my people, but I'll be your father. And you'll be my sons and my daughters. And we look back at the disciples and how cool it must have been to walk beside Jesus or have Jesus walk beside us. And the promise that he talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is that the God of the universe will walk in us. <laughs> Having therefore... These promises, dearly beloved. Would you listen? Let us cleanse ourselves from, say the next word, from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of of God. And again, it's the, this idea of it being a process and this being a pursuit. It, it is the perfecting of holiness. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7 tells us that that holiness is part of our calling. The verse says, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He's called us as his bride to be faithful unto him, to be holy. And and, and again, I ask you tonight, are you living up to your calling as the bride of Christ? Do you genuinely seek to be holy as he is holy? The standard's way up there, y'all. Is holiness, after all these years, after all the stuff we know, is holiness the pursuit of your heart? Do you genuinely tonight hunger and thirst for a righteousness that is outside of yourself? Does your life reflect that you're in that process Do you find yourself? 1 John 1, 9 yourself to death. Confessing very dutifully the same sin over and over and over and over. Maybe you might need to just get off of the 1 John 1, 9 gig for a little bit. And get into 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 and cleanse yourself of that thing. Are you perfecting holiness? In the words of Proverbs 31 and verse 13, Do you seek wool and flax? And notice the next part of Proverbs 31 and verse 13. She worketh willingly with her hands. Yeah, man, listen, the virtuous bride of Christ seeks with everything in her power to be clean, to be pure, to be righteous and holy. But man, I want you to know something. According to what he says in verse 13, she's not afraid to get her hands dirty, man. And it's the weirdest thing in the world to me. A lot of people, in the name of righteousness and holiness, unplug themselves from this world. And I'm not talking about worldly behavior. I'm talking about totally unplug from even living in the world. But the virtuous bride of Christ doesn't isolate herself from people. She's not worried about people contaminating her. Listen, she worketh willingly with her hands. Her hands are always reaching to someone maybe we could say it this way 
She touches the lives of people. You know what's interesting in this passage? Seven times it mentions her hands. It mentions it here in verse 13. Verse 16 says, She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. Verse 19 says, She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. Verse 20, she stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. Verse 31, give her of the fruit of her hands. And all through this entire passage, it's talking about her hands. And her hands are planting. Her hands are working. Her hands are stretching. Her hands are reaching. Her hands are touching. And again, the point is, be holy. Don't be of the world. But at the same time, for God's glory's sake, we've got to be in it, y'all. That's what the lost world needs. People who aren't of it, who can reach out through it and touch the lives of the people that are in it. Isn't that exactly what Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 talk about? It says, as the sons of God, we are to be blameless and and, and harmless and without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom we shine as lights in the world. Listen to it, y'all. Holding forth the word of life. And to be just straight up with you, y'all, I'm not trying to be an idiot. I am one, but I'm not trying to be one. But listen, if you think that you're seeking wool and flax and, and you think that you've arrived at some level of personal holiness, but you're not willing to get into the work of the Lord and work with your hands and you're not touching the lives of people you know what, you may need to just roll it back just a little bit and do a little search through the New Testament at the true nature of holiness. We reach people from the platform of holiness, but listen, that platform is right smack dab in the middle of a dark and decaying world. And again, we see... The bride of Christ, the virtuous woman that our Lord Jesus Christ intends to consummate a marriage with. And we see her and she is busy and she is working. And she takes the initiative. Notice what it says next in Proverbs 31 and verse 14. She's like the merchant's ships. This would be a, a group of people in the Living Faith Fellowship that were pretty dialed into the fact that the two most important words in the Bible are what? 
Blessing is, for those of you that are new, the two most important words are like and as. And of course, the, the reason that we would say that is because uh, every good teacher knows that when you're trying to explain a concept that might be a little bit difficult for the students to get, what you do is you find something that you think that they understand and you say, okay, this thing that you don't understand, well, this is like this. And it's supposed to work to where, oh, okay. I see. I see where you're going with this. Okay. God is the greatest teacher, obviously. And strategically in his word, he uses the words like and as when he thinks it might be a little bit difficult for us to understand a concept. And so he likens it to something that he thinks that we understand. Okay. Many of you understand merchants ships. <laughs> okay. Because what he says is this virtuous bride that he's looking for is like merchants ships okay what's that like okay how would you describe merchants ships okay I, I realize that you know the pressure is on and you don't have a lot of time to think through that whole process okay so because I'm the one that's running his mouth tonight I did take a little bit of time to consider this thing of a merchant's ships. And I think that if I were to give you the time tonight to, to just kind of process that, process that, I think that we would all come, we might say it just a little bit differently, but we would come to the same conclusion that a merchant's ship, listen now, is a vessel that's designed to be driven by the wind. Okay, back in Solomon's day, they didn't have motors, okay? So they, they had sails. It is a vessel that is designed to be driven by the wind through the midst of a body of water to carry out specific tasks. This is not, oh, let's just go cruising around in our ship. This is a merchant's ship. It's, it's headed somewhere. And it's got a purpose. Okay, do you realize what I just described? It is a perfect description of what the New Testament says the Lord Jesus Christ is looking for in his bride. Because you see, we come to the New Testament, and again, what we know as dispensationalists is the Bible interprets itself by comparing things spiritual with things spiritual. And when we begin to do that, what we find is that the New Testament says that we are vessels. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21, these vessels are to be unto honor, sanctified or set apart, and meet or suitable for the master's use and, listen, prepared unto every good work. In Second Thessalon or First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 4, it lets us know that every single one of us 
needs to know how to possess our, say it, our vessel just like that. Just like what he was talking about in 2 Timothy 2.21 in sanctification and honor. And let me tell you how the New Testament says that we do that. We possess our vessel in sanctification and honor and become a vessel that is meet or suitable for the master's use. Listen now. As we are driven by the wind of God's Holy Spirit in the midst of a body of truth that we call the Word of God. The wind in our sails, as it were, Ephesians 5.18, is the Spirit of God. And the water, according to Ephesians 5.26, is the Word of God. And that's why we are like merchants' ships. We are vessels meet for the master's use and prepared for every good work as we are led and driven by the wind of God's spirit through the water of God's word. And the rest of Proverbs 31 verse 14 says, she bringeth her food from afar. And listen, y'all, when, when you come to the place that you're, you're like the merchant's ships and you know how to be a vessel that is fit for the master's use as you're moved along by the Spirit of God through the Word of God, you know what you will do? You'll bring your food from afar. Now, now listen. You know, it, it's, it's one thing to find a church where you are spe fed spiritually. And, and I believe that every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ needs to make sure that you do that. Before you move somewhere, you better find out if there is a church there. Because I'm telling you, man, you're going to end up starving out there. Because it, it is, it, it's crazy. And, and it, it's one thing to find a church that's, that's getting beyond the, the surface of the word into the depth of the word. And th that church is bringing, as it were, its food from afar. And again, I think every believer should do that. Because there's a lot of happy meals being served out there. They taste good for the moment, but they'll kill you. <laughs> but the virtuous woman, listen, the bride of our, the, our Lord Jesus Christ is looking for isn't dependent on somebody else bringing the depths of the word of God to her. No. She's driven like the merchant ships, by the Spirit of God into the Word of God, and she knows how to feed herself. L listen to it again. She bringeth her food from afar. She knows how to plumb the depths 
of God's word, as we talked about last night from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, has nothing whatsoever to do with intellect. But the virtuous woman believes, 1 Corinthians 2, 10, that the spirit of God in her can reveal to her even the deep things of God and buddy that's what she gives herself to, and she goes for it. Again, she's taking the initiative. She bringeth her food from afar. Okay, I need to just talk to you for a minute. I love you to death. But some of y'all been in this church for a lot of years. And you don't know how to feed yourself. And you got a church that'll hook you up with somebody that will invest in you personally, mind you. Your own personal trainer. And this is a church that after you get discipled, would love to see you get involved in ministry tools and training. And you know what you'll learn to do there? You'll learn how to serve the Lord for sure, and you'll learn how to work with your hands, but you know what else you'll do? You'll learn how to get your food from afar. And, and I just want to say to you, again, man, I love you to death. But it's time that some of y'all get off of resting on the laurels that I found a church that plumbs the depths of the Word of God and they bring it from afar. Hallelujah to you. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled you found this place. And I am not kidding when I salute you for that. But the virtuous bride that the Lord Jesus Christ is looking for she bringeth her food from afar. Where will they sign up for discipleship? <laughs> right in the foyer. Okay. Some of y'all, as a response to the message, that's probably what you ought to do tonight. And some of you that have been dinking around and going, well, I don't know if I got time for that ministry tools training. It's so much work and I'm so old now, I don't know if I can do it. Okay. <laughs> Get busy, man. Okay, that, that was meddling, wasn't it? Well, let's go back to preaching. <laughs> and, and then next, verse 15, Proverbs 31, 15 says, she riseth also while it is night. You see, this, this same idea repeated at the end of verse 18. Her, her candle goeth not out by night. And this is so important to understand, y'all. Make sure that you get this. This is not hard. Very simple. But, but it's important. You and I are living right now in a biblical nighttime. Let me quickly just show you what I mean. Okay, Jesus comes along in Jesus, uh, in, in, in Jesus chapter 9, in John chapter 9 and, and verse 5, and Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, 
I am the light of the world. Okay, how long was he in the world, y'all? Eh, 33 and a half years or so. In, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, he's standing with the fellows on the hillside and whoosh, he ascends to the Father. And if you would have been there that day, you know what you would have said? Hey, the lights are going out. As long as I'm in the world. I'm the light of the world, and the light of the world left. And at that time, we entered into what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2 calls the night. In other words, this period of time that we are living in is the church age, and it is the night. And we are living in a biblical nighttime as we await the coming of Christ, which is referred to all through our Bible as the day of the Lord. When according to Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, what's going to happen is the Son of Righteousness, capital S-U-N, verse 2, is going to rise on this planet and it will be daytime because the Lord is going to be back in the world. And as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And here we are right now in a biblical nighttime awaiting the day of the Lord. And when you understand that, and then you read Proverbs 31 and verse 15, she riseth. Also, while it is yet night, all of a sudden, man, the New Testament starts coming to life. Because the Spirit of God says through Paul in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 and 12, and that knowing the time that, say it, hello? Can't you read? <laughs> and that knowing the time that, say it, now, it is high time to what? To awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Oh, listen to it now. The night is far spent. We're presently living in that night. The day is at hand, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And the Spirit of God is saying, yes, you live in a spiritual nighttime as you await the day of the Lord. But this is not a time for sleeping. Right now, he says, it is high time to awake out of sleep. Wake up. Rise and shine. The, the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't want a bride who's all frumpy. <laughs> laying around sleeping when he comes for her. The virtuous woman that he's looking for rises while it is yet night. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 through 7 talks about this, this same idea. Verse 4, 
We are not in darkness. Verse 5, we're all the children of light and the children of the day. Again, though we live in the night, we are not of the night, nor of darkness. Verse 6, let us, therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken, are drunken in the night. Do you understand what he's saying there? Listen, there's two activities that take place in the night, the middle of the night. Two basic groups of people, some that are sleeping and some that are, that are drunk, okay? If, if three or four o'clock in the morning, you get in your car and you just start cruising around Tuscross County, what you're going to find is not many people out because most people are in their house sleeping. And the ones that aren't are in a bar, drunk out of their mind. And it is kind of interesting, is it not, that in this last watch of the night, before... The day of the Lord that basically there's two kinds of churches. Some that are asleep. I mean, you just, have you ever been in those? You come in and you're like, is there a body down front? or what, What's going on here, man? This place is dead as a doornail. And then there's other places where they're, they're drunk, man. And you go in there and they're talking in some unintelligible language. And, and they're trying to pick a fight with people twice their size. You know how people, you know, the little guy in the bar, you know, is going to get, hey, you want this? And he's going to go up to the biggest guy in the bar because he's got something to prove. And I, I see these charismatic preachers flaunting their stuff all over the platform, and they're telling the devil this and telling the devil that. And, and man, I, I, just, I look at Jude 9, where it says that Michael the archangel wouldn't dare bring a railing accusation against Satan, but said, Mm-mm. that's in the Greek. Mm-mm. <laughs> The Lord rebuke you. And some of these two-bit, doctrinally messed up, Laodicean, charismatic pastors think they're going to be some match for the devil. And you know why they think that? Because they are stone-cold drunk. Some of us here tonight need to wake up. And when I say that, I think there's some of you that know the Spirit of God is wanting to say that to you. It is high time that you awoke out of sleep and got yourself plugged into the word of God and become that virtuous bride 
that the Lord Jesus Christ is describing for us. Some of us in this room probably need to sober up. You may not be a charismatic, but you're drunk. You don't have your spiritual bearings about you. And you just got to love that. She riseth also while it is yet night. But, but check it out. She, she's, she's not just up in the middle of the night just dinking around, you know, watching old movies and infomercials and the Weather Channel. I think, is that what, is that what you, y'all do? <laughs> Look at the rest of Proverbs 31, 15. She giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. Listen, y'all. She's not just sober and awake. <laughs> she's working in the last hours of the night. Listen now, the New Testament talks about the fact that we are the household of faith. The way Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 says it. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. And listen, y'all. I, I don't know of many things that you could do for the Lord's household than giving them meat. <laughs> yeah, the Bible likens itself in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 to milk. And that's what spiritual babies feed on. And that's where we all get in. And milk is good. But it's designed to transition us. See, the, the Bible also likens itself to meat. And Paul lets us know in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, that many times, listen, the reason people are still feeding on milk long after they should be and haven't transitioned into the meat of the word is because of carnality. Fleshly living. And God gives us a glimpse of the virtuous woman and you see her in this last watch of the night. And you know what she's doing, man? She is ministering to people. People in her own household longing to see them grow out of spiritual infancy and spiritual carnality and develop strength in them through a spiritual diet where she giveth meat to her household. And notice the last part of verse 15, and a portion to her maidens. Okay, she gives meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. And her maidens, listen now, her maidens are people that she has a relationship with but she's not actually related to. They're not part of the household of faith. They're not a part of the family, but she gives them meat as well. And this is the meat, as in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, as in seeking to get people that we have a relationship with to get 
to the real meat of Christianity, Hebrews 6, 1, to move past the basic principles of the Word of God and and, and of Christ. In other words, yeah, I believe the Bible, and yeah, I believe in the good man upstairs. And to actually see them come to the place to where they move beyond that and repent of the fact that they're trusting their good works to get them to God. And they receive Christ by grace through faith. Listen, y'all. Proverbs 31, 15 is a great description of discipleship. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. Listen. The virtuous bride of the Lord Jesus Christ provides what is necessary biblically to help people who are in the household of faith. She provides them edification. And she provides what is necessary biblically to help people to enter into the household of faith. Did you hear that? That's evangelism. To the people that are in the household of faith, she is working to give them meat to edify them. The people that she has a relationship with that aren't in the household, she's seeking to give them meat so that they get to the meat of what Christianity is all about. I am a sinner before a holy God and cannot do anything to save myself. And so she takes the gospel the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And she brings the word of God, the meat of the word of God to them. Is the Bible, it's the most incredible book you ever saw, y'all. And as we resist the urge to pack up, let me just, let me just, ask you a couple of things our Lord Jesus Christ wants us to be a woman of character he wants to be able to trust us and again I ask you tonight can he can he trust you he wants us to be responsible. He wants us to do him good and not evil all the days of our life. He wants us to take the initiative. He wants us to seek holiness, practical holiness. He wants us to work with, with, with our hands, to do whatever needs to be done to get the job done. He wants us to have his book in our hands so that we can hold forth 
the word of life. He wants us to seek to be led by the spirit of God through the word of God so that we can learn how to feed ourselves and learn how to take our life and invest it in people, evangelizing the lost and edifying the saved. And I ask you again tonight, what kind of bride is the Lord Jesus Christ going to find in you? And in the midst of our dispensational study and us talking about the fact that we are something distinct from the nation of Israel. We are the body of Christ. We are those in him. We are the bride of Christ. Rather than that all being factual and informational. Man, wouldn't it be just a great conference if all of that became transformational and we actually did something With the truth that he's laid out in his word. I, I, I know we've gotten away from you know the big come forward invitations. And, and I get why we did. Sometimes I wish we wouldn't have. <laughs> Because, you know, there's just sometimes, man, you, you, you need to put a stake in, in the ground. And I, the worship team is going to come. In fact, why don't you guys go ahead and come right now. And, and, and listen, some of y'all know that there is an area or some areas of your life and the Spirit of God through the Word of God has been just kind of poking you there. What if, what if we knew that at 3 o'clock this morning, he'd be coming? What would you do then, tonight? If you knew that, maybe that's what we all live approach this as is okay i've got now to be able to deal with what the spirit of god has been talking to me about you know what i'm I'm not going to view tonight as it was a great success because we had some people that came forward i i I don't I, i don't care but man whatever it looks like for you to deal with whatever the Spirit of God was speaking to you about, I think that's what we ought to do. Amen? And and I want to ask you to bow your heads. I want to ask Pastor Jeff to come and and put the the final prayer on on this thing tonight. But for God's glory's sake, y'all, let's be the bride that he's called us to be.